Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now, it's time to get to work. Adam and I are thrilled to welcome our favorite Broncos insider, and I'm guessing most of Broncos country's favorite Broncos insider, Andrew Mason from the Denver Broncos. And make sure to follow him, if you aren't, how is that possible? At Mace Denver is joining us to preview training camp, which is coming too soon for Mace and not soon enough for most of Broncos country. So Mace, thank you for joining us and gearing up for what proves to be uh, an epic training camp. My pleasure. I think the thing is for a lot of us who cover this team uh, full time, we kind of we, we kind of have a certain rhythm to the year. And being back at practice for, on July 18th throws us a little bit off, but you, know, you only have this about once every uh, 10 or 15 years or so being in the Hall of Fame game. So we can live with it. And yeah. they need the practice this year too. They yeah. really need the extra week of work. That's a, You know, it's interesting that you say that. Uh, they need the extra week of work, but what what is it that you see from – uh, like Vic Fangio and his and his coaching staff 
that you think is going to be different from what the Broncos uh, were putting out as far as the coaching staff goes over the last couple of years? I guess we'll just jump right in and start there. Well, I think you start with the tempo of practice. I think it's uh, a lot crisper, a lot faster. That's the thing that jumped out to every one of us that watched the practices uh, during OTAs and minicamp in May and June was the, the speed at which they operated. And even Steve Atwater, when he had a chance to watch practice, was kind of blown away by the pace at which the team was working. So I think that is going to be a little different. I also wonder if they're going to have more days in full pads than they did last year because Vic Fangio tends to be more kind of a back-to-basics, old-school type of coach now. There are limits to how much you can do. You can't do pads for the first three days, for example. But then after that, it's kind of at your discretion. So one thing I may do is uh, go back to the archives from last year and the year before, see how many days were in full pads, how many were in pads and, and shorts, and how many were in no pads at all, and compare them to, compare to this year because I would expect – in terms of the ratio, it's going to be quite a bit different with Vic Fangio operating this year compared with Vance Joseph. Which unit do you think is going to benefit the most from having this extra week of practice, and which one needs it most at this point? I'd say the offense will benefit, and the offense also needs it the most. The defense has been has really taken to Fangio's scheme pretty well. I'm watching them in OTAs. The biggest questions I have are simply at inside linebackers seeing whether Todd Davis and Josie Jewell can handle everything thrown at them. One thing that is in their favor, their communication is good. That goes back to playing together last year when uh, Brandon Marshall missed some time. So that is really all I'm leery about on the defensive side. Bryce Callahan in the secondary, he's played in this scheme. He knows what he's doing. Chris Harris Jr. is a quick study. Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons – their quick studies. It's the offense that really needs this extra time. We always talk about how offense is behind defense at the start of training camp. Even if you've got a great offense and a so-so defense, that always appears to be the case at the start of camp. So an extra week, I think, is going to help the offense fine-tune itself. And of course, we're going to see players like Emmanuel Sanders, Jake Butt, Philip Lindsay ease back into work. So you get some extra days to find out about guys at least at receiver and and running back especially guys who can fill in we'll see a little more of Royce Freeman for example early in training camp we'll see Kalfani Muhammad uh, get his share of reps what can he do with that can he push Devontae Booker for that number three running back spot wide receiver it's wide open once you get past the top four guys of Sanders Sutton Hamilton and Tim Patrick and and those guys will have extra chances to make impressions. Of course, that being said, as I told uh, Ryan Edwards and Steve Atwater on Broncos Talk today, which will air at 6.30 p.m. on Channel 20, this, those receiver spots at the back end, five and six, it's going to be determined by special teams in terms of who's gunners, who are the returners, and that's, and, and that's another area to watch for is kickoff and punt returns. Tom McMahon said at the end of minicamp he really didn't expect to have a good read on the returner until the third game of the preseason. So that extra time is going to help those guys too. I mean, I don't know that we expected such a thorough answer, but I don't know why we wouldn't have expected that. Uh, I I have no constraints. I just kept kept going and going. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, 
I got to make that point. I got to make that point. And I wanted to get to the returner position in particular because you, there are so many names you can talk about with that. You got Jawan Winfrey. He's going to be in the mix. Brennan Langley, he has the vertical speed on offense, but he doesn't make this team unless he is a kickoff or punt returner or both. River Craycraft, who was on the team last year, he can be a good slot receiver, but at the same time, you got Deshaun Hamilton who can handle that. His path to the roster is as a potential punt returner. Uh, the rookies like uh, Kelvin McKnight, Trinity Benson, if they have a shot, again, it comes on special teams, and it looks likely that at least one of the returner spots is going to come from that wide receiver position, and that will probably determine who the sixth receiver is. And then you figure another receiver may be a guy who's a gutter type, and that's where you got to watch out for Aaron Burbridge, the former 49er. The other thing that Burbridge has, of course, is that he comes from San Francisco and he has some familiarity with this scheme. I expect he'll be on the 53 when all is said and done. We just got an audio version of what Broncos fans can expect from Mesa's camp reports, <laughs> which you'll get every day. So that's a, that is a great teaser for what you can expect from Mace in terms of his written camp reports in an audio version. You know, you know what else I liked about it, Ian, is that I didn't actually ask him a question and he still answered a question. It was, I don't, I almost don't have to be here. It's great. I, I just can't turn it off. I'm sorry. <laughs> we don't, we don't want you to leave that's it on. What, that's what podcasts are for. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question that you asked me on my last appearance on orange and blue with you guys on first and 10 at 10, what is the most important thing that you want to see the first couple of weeks before the hall of fame game? Wow. Um, man. Well, what I want to see goes to one area of the team in particular. It's the offensive line. And what happens in OTAs and minicamp is that the edge rushers, the interior pass rushers, they have an advantage when the pads aren't on. The pads go on, it equalizes a bit between the offensive line and the defensive line. So I want to see what the O-line does in terms of protecting Joe Flacco because in OTAs and minicamp, if you went by that, Flacco, Kevin Hogan, Drew Locke, they were all under siege. I want to see the offensive line do better, and in particular, Garrett Bowles. He needs to have a good camp. I want to see Garrett Bowles in the first couple of weeks of training camp show tangible, palpable progress, show that he can be an above-average left tackle, which is what you drafted him to be. That's why I used a first-round pick on him, and I need to see him be, use that athleticism Use that footwork, which is occasionally off. He's got quick feet, but the feet aren't always in the right place. But use that quick, that natural quickness that he has to get himself set up, get in good position to block, and then not be in a spot where he's having to reach out and grab. Because if Garrett Bowles is sitting there this year and he leads offensive tackles in holding penalties again, you're looking for a new left tackle in 2020. I want to see that he is on track to remedy that grabbiness that's really been a problem for him going back to Utah. Would you say that with the addition of Mike Munchak that he's at least in a position to, to have that improvement? Is that, uh, is that why the pressure is on him in that way? Just because it, it clearly looks like 
Uh, he's set up for success, and if he fails now, that that's all on him. Bingo. There are no excuses when you have Mike Munchak because Munchak has forgotten more about line play than almost anyone walking the earth will ever know. He is very relatable in terms of how he can present the items. With, with Mike Munchak, he has a certain gravitas when he walks in the room because he's a Hall of Fame offensive lineman. But he, if you watch him during practice, he does really well at taking complex concepts and getting them down to their basic essentials to where guys can really grasp them. And the other thing with Mike Munchak is he is patient. He's not a screamer. He is some he he is a pat on the butt rather than a Bill Kolar diatribe type of coach. So remember Alex Gibbs back in the day on the offensive line? Uh-huh. Would, at oh, training yeah. camp, he would string together a run of profanities that uh, probably to borrow a line from a Christmas story, still hanging space somewhere over Greeley. Well, Mike Munchak is quite the opposite of that. I, I wonder if with Munch, he just uh, kind of heard too much of that when he was playing and he decided he didn't want to be uh, that type of coach. Chris Cooper, who's assisting Mike Munchak, he has the same kind of mindset. And look, if Mike Munchak does very well, we may be talking about Chris Cooper being the offensive line coach in 2020 because Munchak, as we know, was very close to getting this head coaching job here and if the Broncos online takes the leap and becomes one of the better units in football, then once again, it underscores what kind of coach Mike Munchak is, and he's going to be on some radars, especially if some of these young coaches around the league flame out a little bit. You know how the NFL is a copycat league and everyone has wanted to go young and young. The Broncos, they zagged with Vic Fangio when everyone else zigged, but if some of these young coaches struggle, then inevitably the pendulum might go back to some of the experienced guys, which could mean in a year or two, you're talking about Mike Munchak being a head coach again. Wouldn't surprise me at all. So the million-dollar question, will Garrett Bowles put it together this season? Will he have that strong camp in your estimation? I'm going to say yes. I think I believe that much in Mike Munchak's teaching that Garrett Bowles will have a strong camp and that he will look better. You'll see that as you get the preseason games. I think the thing you're looking for in training camp, because you are going against Bradley Chubb and Vaughn Miller, you're looking for persistence. You're looking for a guy who holds his own, who doesn't let one, one penetration, one sack allowed, become two or three, become a string of holding penalties. You want to see that he has that cornerback short memory, make the mistake, forget it, go on to the next play. I'm also fascinated to see with Garrett Bowles and really everybody on the O-line how wearing the game jerseys for training camp, as we saw in OTAs and minicamp as well, helps. And if that really does result in a reduction in holding penalty because you don't have the loose, you don't have the loose jersey, it's not as easy to grab. Is that something where we're going to see some good habits develop? I certainly hope so. Quick follow-up on Bulls, but ties into who's going to be playing on his right. How much of an impact is Dalton Reisner being at left guard going to help him? And can Reisner carry over his strong play at Kansas State to the NFL in training camp? And I guess the second part of that is how did Reisner look in uh, – 
minicamp when he was after he got drafted. I like the way he looked in minicamp and OTAs. I think the thing that jumped out to me again, while that environment with no pads is not advantageous for the offensive lineman, I didn't see him kind of lose his cool, lose his temperament, lose his focus. I also saw how he was able, as we went week to week, saw that he was doing better in terms of uh, in terms of getting his footwork set, and that's a strength for him anyway. But uh, doing it at the pro level, he, he's coming. He's continuing to make progress, but having Reisner there can help Garrett Bowles. And it's weird to talk about a rookie helping a three-year veteran, but don't forget with Garrett Bowles, he didn't really play at a high level of football until that 2016 season at Utah. He you know, basically had to take the long way and the circuitous route uh, to the NFL, whereas Dalton Reisner, there he was starting in the Big 12 for four seasons, and he already has shown a pretty quick grasp of what Mike Munchak and Chris Cooper want him to do. So you know, hopefully for the Broncos, the two of them will grow together. Don't be surprised, guys, if uh, at the end of the season, Dalton Reisner, you're talking about being an all-rookie. I would actually say maybe he's got – Uh, the best shot of any Bronco to be on the all-rookie team this year. That's awesome. It would speak volumes to how well the offensive line has played, I think, if that comes to fruition. Yeah. Actually, really, on the offensive line, the concern I have is uh, just how long Ron Leary lasts. And one thing that Steve and Ryan and I were talking about when we recorded this morning is that um, guys like Elijah Wilkinson and Don Barclay, are massively important on this offensive line because with Ron Leary and Jawan James, you have two players that have finished more re- more recent seasons than not the last three years on injured reserve. So if they can't reverse that trend of having injury strike them at some time, you're going to see Elijah Wilkinson starting. You're going to see maybe Don Barclay. Sam Jones, can he solidify his plays? I'd say Sam Jones right now, uh, is on the bubble. Elijah Wilkinson looks like someone who's going to be a backup at uh, at least one tackle spot, if not both. But of course, we saw that he could play guard as well, and that. So that's one thing I want to see. I want to. I I hope that Ron Leary and Jawan James avoid the injury bug because if they do, it's not that you don't have confidence in the backups. And right now, you're looking at Barclay and Elijah Wilkinson potentially being the top two backups. And they've got some starting experience, and they have, they've had bursts where they've played well. They've had bursts where they've struggled. But uh, this line looks at its best if you've got Ron Leary and Juwan James on the right side. So keeping them upright is crucial. And I wonder if maybe they'll uh, – if they get to a point where they like what they're seeing from the two of them, if they're going to give them some vet days off. Yeah, that'd be nice. Speaking of, of vet days, I'm going to pivot a little bit because you talked about Dalton Reisner. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that we have – sort of had a discussion about is the rookies coming in and he's one of those rookies that people are excited about. Is there a rookie that you are uh, particularly excited to watch during training camp that you think is going to have a big impact or is going to make a big move and and find themselves uh, in maybe a starting role or a backup role that maybe people don't expect? I really want to see Noah Fant. And I know it's obvious to talk about the first round pick, but Rich Gangarello has dropped a few hints in his press conferences about the athleticism that Fant brings, even compared to, say, George Kittle out in San Francisco. 
Now, Kittle wasn't performing in terms of production at that high level until year two, but there were there there were some big steps forward for him in year one. I know I try to keep the expectations reasonable for Noah Fant, and if he ends up with about 30 receptions, 300 to 400 yards, and three touchdowns, that puts him you know right in the right in the middle part of the curve for first round tight ends over the last uh, nearly two decades or so. But they don't have another weapon skill set wise like Noah Fan. And if they're easing Emmanuel Sanders back, then they're going to need someone to stretch the field. We talk about Sanders being having the vertical speed. And then at wide receiver, nobody else does that. But maybe you can get that vertical threat from Noah Fant going down the seam 30, 35 yards downfield against a, against a mismatch no matter who he's going against, a linebacker, safety, cornerback. He's going to cause some kind of mismatch, whether it's his speed or his frame, no matter who he faces. And perhaps that's where the Broncos – can get a vertical element from this offense if Emmanuel Sanders isn't all the way back between Fant down the seam, Cortland Sutton on the outside. Maybe you use them to stretch defenses and figure, okay, you maybe draft that young speed guy in 2020 after Emmanuel's contract expires. But I want to see them expand the possibilities of what Noah Fant can do. And to me, that's why I look at the offense and, and we saw last year when the Broncos were in uh, were in long yardage, they went with a lot of four receiver sets. I don't really want to see four wide receiver sets because I want to see Noah Fant out there and and see them use him as a wide receiver, even though he's officially a tight end on the roster. Yeah, I like that. I like the sound of that. Kind of like uh, almost like having Shannon Sharp back, or maybe uh, a little more recent, maybe the old Julius Thomas days. Remember when Orange <laughs> Julius was pretty was pretty good with Peyton Manning. Or watch how the Giants use Evan Ingram. Right. Um, and the advantage that Noah Fan has on Evan Ingram is that he's 15 pounds heavier. And he has the same speed as Evan Ingram. So potentially Noah Fan is an even more dangerous weapon than some of these young emerging tight ends that we're seeing that are changing what offenses can do in terms like an O.J. Howard in Tampa Bay, Evan Ingram, who I just mentioned, Mark Andrews last year working with Joe Flacco and then really helping Lamar Jackson out in Baltimore. Noah Fant can easily be the, one of those types of guys. They, they may have to live with some rookie mistakes at times, but the, what he brings skill set-wise, there's no one else on the roster who has it, and I want to see him out there, even if it means a few bumps along the way. And camp is actually a place for him to shine because – when you're when you're doing the the move the ball drills or you're doing red zone drills, that's a perfect opportunity for him to develop that rapport and that timing with Joe Flacco. And you can build your confidence. You go back to last year at training camp, for example. Remember when the Bears came in and their tight ends? My goodness, their tight ends made mincemeat of the Broncos defenders. They didn't have an answer for them. And I'd I'd like to see the Broncos use their tight ends in much the same way Chicago did. And of course, uh, the way San Francisco did with George Kittle and it'll be an early test for the, for the defense, both in practices and also the defenses they face early on in the preseason, but, you know, force the issue 
on the defensive side, but then also give those tight ends some confidence. Guys, it wouldn't at all surprise me if the Broncos find a way to keep four tight ends on the 53-man roster, especially if you end up using Noah Fant as something of a big wide receiver as that joker type and always have him in space. That may that may be a spot the Broncos emphasize heavily. I actually did a 53-man roster where I've got four tight ends and a fullback making. Wow. That's room for Andy Janovich as well. That's that's pretty exciting. Oh, Jano's making this team. And, <laughs> and Rich Gangarello will find ways to get him out there. It's an underrated aspect of his game, but when he gets the ball and gets a little momentum, he can make a big play. One of the things I like the most, most about him coming out in Nebraska is that they would find ways to occasionally get him the ball in space, and he'd just keep going and going, and sometimes he'd have a 50-yard gain. We go back to his first game as a Bronco. He gets into space, touchdown. I want to see a little more of that if they can make it work with Kyle Juszczyk in San Francisco. I think they can do the same with Andy Chavich here. Absolutely. I think I think all of Broncos country would love to see that. I think they would love to see 22 Janos. <laughs> 22 Janos. <laughs> hey, the 22 Janos. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wrong, man. Uh, was not a good special teams coach, but we will always have that. that he, gave us, he gave us something, that's for sure. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, you know, talking about the rookies, that's a lot of change on the, on the roster. The other, um, you know, large amount of change is definitely from free agency. And the Broncos brought in several guys, really. Is there one in particular that you're the most excited to watch? Or is there a group that you're paying attention to when it comes to free agents that you are uh, most interested in during training camp coming up? Well, it's, it's, I think it's obvious. It's the defensive backfield. And obviously Bryce Callahan and Kareem Jackson were the two big ones there. I want to see how they use Kareem Jackson. We're getting the indication based on minicamp and OTAs that it could be Kareem Jackson as a – base package safety, sub-package corner, sometimes even a slot corner. Nothing wrong with that. You want to have your best guys out there. But I'm also looking at Devontae Bosby coming from out of the Alliance of American Football where he led the league in interceptions before that league bit the dust. And Bosby, he took advantage of Chris Harris Jr. not being a part of OTAs until the very end. Isaac Yadam working his way back from injury. Bryce Callahan. And he stepped in there, and Bosby looked very good. And like Bryce Callahan, he knows what Vic Fangio and Ed Donatel want to do because he played in Chicago. Would not surprise me, guys, if Devontae Bosby, if he's the number four corner, and he plays well in those moments when he's asked to be a number three corner because inevitably that's going to happen. And a year from now, we're talking about Devontae Bosby being one of those guys who reminds us why a developmental league is needed because some guys sometimes just need that 
extra shot that comes from playing in a league like that. They need more time. With Bosby, he'd gotten some opportunities, but the opportunities around the league didn't reflect themselves in terms of a lot of actual game game snaps. Then he goes to the AAF, and he's an every-down player, and he's terrific. Some guys, you find something in them playing every down at a lower level that you didn't know existed before. And I think – and I've liked talking to Devontae Bosby. I'm pulling for him in part because I want to have guys like him that show – the value of some kind of developmental league because it's something the NFL is lacking and really needs at some point. Like a, like a D league or, or just like an eight team league, something like that, where you can get, yes. you know, get, get guys out there to get them the, the snaps. I think keep another it, keep the cost low, have it be a bus league down the, down in the South and the Midwest. You don't have to send it over to Europe. You can have it, you know, played in places like Louisville, Kentucky, Memphis, Tennessee, Birmingham, Alabama, because Birmingham, if there's a minor football league, Birmingham always has to have a team, right? I think that's the rule. I, um, it's, it's it's part of the uh, the United States Constitution. It's our it's article it's in Article Three. Check it out. You if you have the time, look it up. It's, I'm not going to tell you the whole thing, but yeah, I think that would be fun. I also think it's an interesting point that you make because there are guys on the Broncos roster right now that might have benefited from having that developmental league, but they were able to kind of work their way. And I think Chris Harris Jr. is an example of that as well. Undrafted free agent. Uh, he he obviously is maybe sort of at the top end of that, but mm-hmm. he could have been in a developmental league for a year and then come out and been a star. So well, I, I think you're making a good point. Well, you look at the preseason, and in particular that last preseason game when you bench the starters, it's the closest thing the NFL has to a summer league type of deal is that one game. Now, Let's watch how many teams follow what the Rams did last summer and rest their starters for the entire preseason. I don't think the Broncos are going to be one of those teams, and that's logical for a lot of guys not named Vaughn Miller. They need the reps at this point. But if Joe Flacco and everybody succeeds and this team goes 10-6 and six or 11-5 and five and gets back to the playoffs this year, then in 2020, you're looking at a team at that point in its development, maybe not needing to play its starters in the preseason. But I am fascinated to see how many teams this year follow what the Rams did. And the other thing to consider is, let's say, for example, Seattle. I could see that team being one that benches a lot of starters. So what good are the first team reps for the Broncos starters going to be if the defense, for example, isn't facing Russell Wilson. That's something that uh, it's something that'll be interesting to watch this year: starters versus backups, and uh, and how that gets evaluated in terms of preseason play. You mentioned Bosby, and I'll, I'll take that as your under the radar guy. Oh yes, who could expect to be a camp star. Is there another one that you'll be looking for, maybe on offense? Well. The receivers always catch people's eyes. So Juwan Winfrey, I think, is going to uh, get some attention. Brennan Langley with his vertical speed, if he can make some catches, he's going to uh, he's going to nab the spotlight. I, I could see Aaron Burbridge just being a guy who catches everything thrown his way, being one that gets some note as camp goes on. But the thing is with receivers – it's easy to make an impression in training camp. It's sort of the playing field is sort of tilted toward them. Elsewhere on the offense, um, in terms of camp standouts, I've watched the two 
tight ends who right now you don't project to be on the roster, but both but they both have some potential and had some good moments in OTAs and minicamp, and that's Bug Howard and Austin Fort, the rookie from Wyoming. If Jake Butt's knee doesn't hold up, Fort and Bug Howard could flourish with some more training time, with some more uh, time in training camp and in preseason games. And it's possible they could do enough to where if Jake Butt isn't going to be a part of the team, either of them could snag a roster spot. Bug Howard's another AAF guy. Austin Fort, he was catching everything, especially in the red zone uh, back in OTAs and minicamp. So I'd keep my eyes on those two under the radar guys. I think at least one of them will be on the practice squad. I, you know what you were you mentioned a bunch of wide receivers names and there was one that you left out that sort of caught my caught my attention and you didn't mention Tim Patrick at all. Now is he is he maybe a guy who who you see as possibly underperforming and and maybe not making the roster? He seems like a guy who has been I, really I'd good. Be I'd be shocked if he doesn't make the roster. Okay. Um, I actually would put him in sharpie right now, uh, not just because. He did play well down the stretch last year, but also he's a core special teamer. You talk about guys who are involved in coverage, involved as gunners. Uh, that's Tim Patrick. He, I would say this. He's Benny Fowler, but stronger. <laughs> he's Benny Fowler. I made a face. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Remember, remember, Benny Fowler did make some plays. He did. Back in the Steelers' playoff game, kept that drive alive. That's with that true. Action run. But I think with Benny Fowler, we also remember uh, the moments in the 2016 season. Yeah, in so particular. The, 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 the drop against uh, Tennessee, for example. And you're talking about a completely different outcome for that season if he makes it. But Tim Patrick, yeah, he's a more talented Benny Fowler. That's, I like to throw That's that more talented part. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, is there a guy who uh, you're worried may underperform? And I mean, is there an, an, a reason why he might underperform heading into camp? Well, Demarcus Walker, he's kind of underperformed in the last couple of years, in part because they moved him to edge rusher. They brought him back to defensive line. So he's dropping the weight. He's putting it back on. He didn't get on the field last year uh, very much, in large part because the defensive line was so healthy. Demarcus Walker's got some pressure on him because Draymond Jones effectively has the same skill set as Demarcus Walker, interior pass rusher. And Draymond Jones is a third-round pick. He's making the team. That pick, it's sort of like last year when the Broncos picked Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton because – the guys the year before, Carlos Henderson and Isaiah McKenzie, didn't work out. You were trying to correct a mistake. Draymond Jones kind of feels like the same kind of pick relative to Demarcus Walker. The pressure is on, and the Broncos may only go with six defensive linemen. And Billy Wynn, I think Billy Wynn and Demarcus Walker are fighting for that one spot at the back of the depth chart. And Bill Colmar loves him some Billy Wynn. And Billy Wynn is healthy. He had plenty of time to get over the torn ACL that he had in the 2017 preseason. He was a lock to make the roster that year if he doesn't get hurt. And if Billy Wynn comes out, looks good, can play all three, can play all three spots on the defensive line, which is something they want to see. 
Billy Wynn's going to beat out DeMarcus Walker for a spot. You mentioned the defensive line and that position battle for the final roster spot. That ties into the final kind of roundtable training camp preview question we have. But what position battle are you most interested in, and who do you think will come out on top of that battle? Well, I'll go back to kickoff and punt returner because it's so wide open. Um, That is the hardest battle to gauge on the roster right now because you have so many young guys and they're leaving the door open for a Kelvin McKnight, Jawan Winfrey, Trandy Benson, for one of those guys to seize the returner spot. A reason why Tom McMahon said that he doesn't expect any clarity on returners until the third game of the preseason is because he said, look, these guys coming out of college, they haven't dealt with 5-0 hang times on punts. So they've had a lot more space to operate with the college ranks, and they're going to in the NFL. So how do they deal with that? And he said, look, it takes you some time to adjust. Contrast that to two years ago when Isaiah McKenzie was basically handed the job before even the first preseason game. And Tom McMahon is going in the opposite direction and saying, this is going to take some time to resolve itself. I'm going to take a stab at it and say that the kickoff returner ends up being Devontae Booker. The punt returner ends up being Jawan Winfrey. But when you need the punt catcher inside the 10-yard 10, the 10 line, I always call that the Jim Leonard Memorial pat, punt catcher because of the way that uh, John Fox would put him out there in 2012. So playing the role of Jimmy Leonard – as the punt catcher inside the 10-yard line would be um, would be Deshaun Hamilton. Oh, okay. Fascinating. That is actually – I mean, it's – I figure you just throw a guy back there and have him catch the ball. You know, he's like, hey, go catch the ball. <laughs> Apparently there's a lot sometimes, more truth than that. Sometimes you, know, like, you don't care if the guy takes off with the ball. You just care that he catches it. Rod Smith actually was sometimes used in yeah. that way back. Yeah, was. And then there was one moment against San Diego back in 03. It was the game where the Broncos wore the white uniforms at home. And he had some space, and he just thought, okay, I'm going to take off with it. And there he went, touchdown. And I don't think he, other than punt catcher, I don't think he ever did it again. <laughs> I think you're right. I, but yeah, I remember he, he that. Was, that was incredible. Yeah. He was absolutely the punt catcher. That Yeah, that, that game was the uh, everything's coming up Millhouse game. Just <laughs> It all worked that day. That Shannon Sharp, uh, I think he broke the touchdown record that day as well for tight ends. Yeah, I think you're right. Good day. Everything's coming up, Millhouse. Great <laughs> reference. Can I just let me just make sure that was an excellent Simpsons reference. If you didn't catch it, look it up. Everything's coming up, Millhouse. Google Google it as as so we, the kids we got are saying. A great Simpsons reference, and we've gotten uh, two or three mace bombs. Yeah, which are <laughs> like Woj bombs, but. It's Mace, so they're cooler. <laughs> oh, man. Woj, Woj bombs, Mace bombs. I mean, uh, things, things are going off all over the place here. <laughs> I'm, probably, I'm blushing right now, I think. <laughs> oh, so, you got it. Um, yeah, what, what I'm curious about 
heading into Ian and I before we started uh, before before you jumped on and before we started recording, we were talking about the schedule because I'm going on vacation and I got you know schools coming back up and so we're, I'm looking at okay I'm going to be here doing this you know for recording and things like that. And one of the things we were trying to figure out is based on the preseason schedule with the Hall of Fame game and then the four preseason games, and you sort of alluded to this. What is the schedule going to look like for the players? Like, he, like you said, Von Miller doesn't – he could take no snaps. He's he's fine. Uh, but based on sort of what you're seeing, are we going to see, like, is the third preseason game their, you know, their dress rehearsal, or how are they going to work that out? Well, last year the teams in the Hall of Fame game basically treated that as a bonus game, and they didn't play their starters. Right. So I expect something similar – for that game from both the Broncos and the Falcons. I expect they'll say, you know what, it's going to be a bonus time. We're going to uh, give some longer looks to guys on the back end of the roster. The only starters I would expect you might see for that game are, like, if it's a rookie, like Dalton Reiser. I could see them working him in just to get him some snaps and uh, make sure he's, you know, he's right where you need to be in terms of game speed and all that. Look, I – that preseason opener, if Kevin Hogan's ahead of Drew Locke, he'll start. But I want to see a lot of Drew Locke. I, I want to see a lot of Brett Rippon. Let's say Kevin Hogan starts. I'd want to then see Drew Locke for a quarter and a half and Brett Rippon for a quarter and a half. Use this extra game to get evaluation time. Frankly, if it were my call, I'd say Drew Locke first half, Brett Rippon second half. I wouldn't even play Kevin Hogan until the second preseason game. Use the extra work. Use it as an opportunity to get longer looks at guys while you're still trying to make decisions on the but the back end of the last five or six spots on the roster and the practice squad. Sometimes you go into that last preseason game and you've already decided what it's going to look like, and nothing in that game can change it. Well, now here you've got this early this extra game at the front of the preseason. Take advantage of that and get some reps to guys that maybe you want to learn more about, and maybe you find out something about a player that you didn't know before, and then you work him into more playing time over the three preseason games that follow. Take advantage of this opportunity, and that's how I, th- I think they'll end up doing that. Now, that said, I think you'll you'll see Hogan, Locke, and Brett Rippon, but again, if it were my call, Kevin Hogan's got a few years of snaps you know who and what he is. I want to answer, I want to get questions answered about Drew Locke and Brett Rippon. I want to find out if Drew Locke can start for four games if you need him to. And the more snaps you get him to find to find that out, the better. One of the biggest questions that I think all Broncos country wants to know is Who's going to be that undrafted guy who comes up and keeps the Broncos streak alive of finding someone who wasn't drafted but ends up playing a big role, even potentially a starter? I don't know if that if that can happen this year, but who who are you looking at who could potentially be that guy this this year? Well, go back to returns because it's so wide open. You look at uh, Trinity Benson and Kelvin McKnight as two guys who, if they show some explosiveness and they can secure the football, either of them has a chance to stick on the 53. But the spot I have right now for an undrafted rookie is at linebacker. It could be outside linebacker Malik Reed from Nevada. 
could be inside linebacker Joe Deneen from Kansas. On my 53 right now, I have Joe Deneen on it. He got a big bonus. It's clear the Broncos prioritized him among their undrafted signees. But Malik Reed, he's got a little kind of Justin Hollins in him. He can go inside to pinch, but he's mainly an edge rusher. We had the moment in OTAs when he bumped into Drew Locke. He's a little aggressive, but you like that. You like the instincts. You like him going for that. And he's another one. He, he has hand in the dirt at times at Nevada. He was stand-up. He was in coverage. Used him a lot of different ways. So I think Joe Deneen and Malik Reed, I expect one of them on the practice squad, one of them on the 53. I have a quick question about undrafted free agents that this just sort of pops into my head. Are the Broncos the most successful team when it comes to undrafted free agents, or is, am I just wearing orange and blue glasses right now? I just seriously, I think about Rod Smith. I think about I think about Chris Harris. I think about Philip Lindsay, and you know, I'm just kind of going through that, thinking to myself, I don't. I, am I wrong about that? Or I don't think you're wrong as far as have as far as many guys over time being undrafted and working their way into prominent roles. Of course, the thing to consider in this day and age is that a lot of these undrafted guys back until the early 1990s, they would have been eighth round, ninth round, 10th round to to 12th round guys. Carl Mecklenburg, for example, was a 12th round pick. Right. And in this day and age, he'd be undrafted. So kind of going through the the seven-round draft era over the last uh, quarter century or so, I'm racking my brain, and I can't think of any team that has been more consistently successful at finding those guys. It's every it's all-timers for the franchise like Chris Harris Jr. and Rod Smith, but then it's also a series of solid contributors. Lenny Wall starts at cornerback for a few years back in the mid-2000s. Mike Bell uh, had some right. moments at, at running back back in the uh, mid to late 2000s. You're getting long snappers uh, galore uh, from the undrafted ranks, and, they're in, and they end up lasting for several years. The roster is always, it's always pockmarked with these guys. C.J. Anderson, can't forget him. He became a Pro Bowl running back here, and he had a 1,000-yard season. So... Other teams do well, but the Broncos, they raise the flag really high on their undrafted guys. And it's a good thing, too, because those undrafted players have sometimes helped the team make up for draft misses. C.J. Anderson is a great example of how his presence ensured that Monte Ball and his alcohol issues that led to the end of his playing career uh, didn't harm the team. Uh, even though it was tough for Monte to go through that, and uh, I think he's what uh, two, three years sober now, so good yeah, to see him right. doing good to see him doing well. But uh, yeah, Chris or C.J. Anderson ensured that the Monte Ball miss, as far as the draft went, didn't hurt the team. Let's pivot into some recent news about how um, there's talk about the expansion to an 18 game regular season mm-hmm. with potentially starters sitting for two games. So they're still just playing 16 games. What do you make of this? And I know that you have a better plan in place, so you can let us all know what it is. Well, 
I, it's, it's something that I think was thrown out there as a negotiating point, but it's not going to actually happen because the nature of football makes it impractical as far as only having 16 to 18 games and saying you're going to rest players for, you know, you pick a game here. It's not going to work out. What I think will happen or should happen, I don't know if it will happen, I like the idea of a 17-game regular season, trimming the preseason by one or two games, and then that 17th game, you say, everyone, you're going to play a game outside of the United States every regular season. And here's your chance to make sure you continue to grow the game outside the country. And look, playing games overseas, we know, is a huge priority for the NFL right now. Or not even in, in Mexico, not even overseas, just across the border. You mandate this. The other thing, because what's going to happen, guys, is that once the stadiums in Las Vegas and Los Angeles go online, you're going to lack obvious teams to take and ask them to give up home games. So you're going to need to find a way to continue that that program of having several of having games overseas every year or outside the country every year. And so I like the idea of a 17 game schedule and saying everyone's playing a neutral a neutral site. And the other thing I would then do with that 17th game schedule wise is you would get one team outside of your division that is designated as a rival based on geography, based on history, whatever. And that opponent is on your schedule every year. So for example, Denver's would be the Seattle Seahawks. And you'd have one game against Seattle every year. And then in the years when the Seahawks were on the schedule as part of the NFC West rotate rotating into the Broncos schedule, they play two games. You just have to make sure that both games weren't in Denver or both games weren't in Seattle. And frankly, that can be done with this uh, neutral site. You could say, okay, the schedule rotation says it's de- that it's Denver at Seattle, but the home and home rivalry thing says it's Denver at Seattle. So we're going to take one of those Denver at Seattle games and we're going to move it to London. Or we're going to move it to Beijing or wherever. And that's so that's how I would do it. And also, I like the fact that this idea – it keeps the international program going. It gives the NFL a chance to find out if London, for example, can support eight games. And at some point, they keep at you know, keep playing three games, four games. At some point, you need to find out if London can justify having eight home games, eight home games a season. And it gives you the chance to go to some other places. If they ever want to expand to London, they to me they need a European partner to help in terms of travel. And then you play one team, and then you go play the other team. So try out Frankfurt in Germany, where you had a lot of success back in the World League and NFL Europe days. Uh, try out another venue in Great Britain. Uh, maybe you go to Scotland. Maybe you go to a, to Edinburgh. Or maybe you try Manchester at, um, at the Etihad Stadium where Manchester City plays, and that's, that, that can easily host an NFL game. Try go back to Barcelona where you had some preseason games and NFL Europe for a while. Amsterdam, they're in Asia. Go, you remember you used to play some preseason games in Tokyo and Osaka. 
can go back to places like that. And then, of course, continue working on Mexico. Maybe part of it is you, you're based with London games and Mexico City games, and then you spread a few around from that and say maybe eight in London, three in Mexico City, and then another five that you spread around the globe. And that's what you do with that 17th game. I like that idea a lot. So when you uh, are running the league, think of the little people. Bring us <laughs> along. We'd love to hang out. I mean, well, the thing is, if I ever was the commissioner, I would want to have some people around that were just kind of idea people. Let's just, you know, like you guys, let, let's just sit around and think of stuff. How do we make this game better? Sometimes I think they get too locked into their own box of thinking and you need to think like a fan. You need to think like a consumer rather than think like an executive. And you know, maybe some of the ideas end up being way out, but maybe some end up being massaged and and needed into something that is, that, that actually work. And frankly, I think I'm, I'm biased because it's my idea, but I think the 17th game in terms of how you get the opponents and taking some games and playing them overseas, I think it'd be great for the league. You get rid of you get rid of a couple of preseason games. Nobody is going to miss those. Um, and the thing with the other the other thing with the overseas games, guys, the London games, you you probably make up for what you lose hosting a preseason game by going over and playing a game in London. I mean, the Jaguars, I think, make as much money from one London game as I think four or five home games in Jacksonville because of the premium on tickets. So there's a lot of a lot of profit to be had going over to London. And the other thing I like about this is you stop taking home games away from teams. Like the Raiders, yeah, we all love to hate the Raiders, but they don't deserve that kind of brutal trek that they're going to have where they're going to be on the road basically for a month and a half in part because their home game in that span is going to be in London. The Chargers have endured something similar. Then you get it back to where every team is playing eight games in their venue, and then it's 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 equal. It's more fair. I want to see that. I'm going to disagree with you just a little bit. The Raiders deserve every bad thing that ever happens to them. <laughs> Hopefully that's not too emotional there, but that's, that's what I'm saying. But the thing, I think part of it is also it's such a small NFL and guys move around. And, hey, you know, I, I like Brandon Marshall. I hope – I really hope he does well. He may be wearing silver and black, but individually, I'm pulling for him. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. One of the things that you've also wanted to happen for a long time <laughs> is the expanded senior class to get the backlog of players like Randy Gratishar and Louis Wright and Carl Mecklenburg, who just now came onto the seniors committee. What do you make of this? And... Adam asked this question when we talked about it a few weeks ago. Is it enough? I think they need several, they need multiple years of seniors at this level. I think what's going to be interesting is you're already hearing buzz about them 
going back through the 1920s, 30s, and 40s to get some forgotten people in. And that's well and good, but to me, I don't think you can have this first expanded seniors class without Randy Gratishar. And with the Broncos, you just mentioned Carl Mecklenburg. We can talk about Louis Wright as well. Both of them are deserving of being in the Hall of Fame, and they're not in right now. And this one class, it might help a little bit, but it's you're still going to have more. You're still going to have more guys than you have spots. Where I, what I do like though, I like them separating the coaches from the players. We've been sitting here talking about Don Coriel for the last several years, and even though Don Coriel never guided a team to the Super Bowl, his role in the development of offensive football clearly merits inclusion in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I'd like to see Dan Reeves get some traction. Maybe it doesn't happen this year for Dan, or in 2020 for Dan Reeves, but if they do say we're going to add a coach at least every couple of years, Dan, then you are talking about Dan Reeves, who's who has a significant line on his resume that is just like Bud Grant and Marv Levy's, and they're both in the Hall of Fame, getting to four Super Bowls, not winning any of them, but still getting there. And Dan Reeves, don't forget, had the additional value of having taken two teams to Super Bowls. This first coach class, I expect, you're talking about at least three coaches. I think it'll be, I think it'll be Don Coriel, Tom Flores, who got in the room as a finalist, and uh, he's he's hurt a little bit by the fact that the Seattle tenure for him was so bad. But uh, what he did with the Raiders, he certainly deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. That was a team that it seemed it was starting to creak. It was actually kind of in transition a little bit when he got there and took over for John Madden. And he gets them to a couple of Super Bowl wins early in the 80s. And uh, it, his role can't be understated. But uh, this will it'll do some good. It'll help. I just hope that when they're talking about the 10 or so seniors that Randy Gratishar is one of them because the time should have come a long time ago for Randy. Louis Wright, I think, has a great case. Carl Mecklenburg, I think. Carl Mecklenburg has, not only has a good case, but Jeff Legwald the Broncos uh, Hall of Fame uh, voter believes that if he can get Carl Mecklenburg to be discussed, that he has a good chance of getting in because you can sell the fact that this resume is unlike anybody else's right. in football history. So hopefully the next few years are bountiful on that front for the Broncos. But Randy Gratishar, he is the first guy I think you have to try to get in. You look at all the iconic defenses in football history and – they're all represented in the Hall of Fame, except the Orange Crush. And it's not about having a Super Bowl. The Purple People Eaters in Minnesota didn't win it all, and they've still got, haven't. Yeah, they got a bunch. Yeah, they got a bunch of guys. They got, you know, <laughs> they've got Carl Eller. They've they've got Alan Page. They've got Paul Krause. You can just go down the list. And you're telling me the Broncos, the Orange Crush, in some ways, an equal of the Purple People Eaters. They only have one guy. That is something that you have to rectify. Even the no-name defense made its name by not having a famous guy. Got Nick Bonacani in. So you gotta you gotta fix that and get Randy Gratishar in there. And, and the first line in there will be he led the Orange Crush and then the, then that unit gets its 
deserved recognition with Randy Gorton. I'm going to give you another name from the Orange Crush. You mentioned some coaches, and I'm going to throw one out, just so that the old man knows knows that I'm thinking about it. Joe Collier. Joe Collier, innovative defensive uh, coordinator. He should be in, right? In the Hall of Fame, yeah. And and hopefully if this coach category is more than just one year, we're talking about coordinators and position coaches. Joe Collier. Buddy Ryan was a head coach for a few years, but as a defensive coordinator, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Maybe Wade Phillips as a defensive coordinator. You can go on, just go on down the list. Joe Collier, you want to get Bill Belichick going and you know, kind of get him telling some stories about what he learned. Just ask Bill Belichick about Joe Collier. He basically shadowed Joe Collier for that year in 1978 soaked in everything and even today in terms of in terms of the multiple looks and really confusing an offense you see echoes of joe collier in what bill belichick does so perhaps the greatest coach in the history of the nfl basically modeled himself after perhaps the greatest defensive coordinator in the history of the nfl at the very least joe collier should be a ring of famer of course he's on the ring of fame selection committee but they got to find a way to get him in the ring of fame and that 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 seems obvious. To he me. was with the Broncos for like twenty years, right? He, yeah. Think about the fact that he was he came in under Lou Saban, so he survives the Lou Saban Jerry Smith interim to John Ralston coaching change. Then he survives Ralston to Red Miller. Then he survives Red Miller to Dan Reeves. How many guys do that as a coordinator? Occasionally, you'll see a running backs coach. <laughs> Because that is relatively scheme independent in what you teach. You'll see a running backs coach. The great Dick Hoke in Pittsburgh was there for decades. Of course, I think he only worked for a th- for three coaches or maybe four. Maybe he hung around for a, a little bit of Mike Tomlin. But with Joe Collier, oh, you know, keeping that job for so long, just a tremendous tribute to him. And uh, yeah. He, he, he's a gaping – he's a uh, pretty uh, gaping hole in the ring of fame, I think, is the fact that Joe Collier isn't in there, along with some others like uh, Trevor Price, Al Wilson, Riley Odom, Steve Foley. <laughs> Could go on. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned Steve Foley yes. and Riley Odom. Yes, those both deserved it as well. And Trevor, Trevor Price and Al Wilson as, as well. That's Those are two names we haven't talked about when we talk about the ring of fame, but I'll I could agree. see them going in together. They have one of those yeah. kind of clean-out years – you know, a few years from now, because of course, what will happen over the next few years in the ring of fame is that uh, you'll see, you'll see probably Mike Shanahan, I expect very soon. Uh, you'll see uh, Peyton Manning. I'm just looking at the poster of Peyton Manning that you've got up there. Uh, Peyton will go in at, at the first crack. What is interesting is that when you have these first ballot Hall of Famers, it didn't happen with John Elway because he immediately went in the ring of fame, but these first ballot Hall of Famers go into the Hall of Fame for the ring of fame. It's a little, it's a little backwards, but that's yeah. okay. <laughs> Maybe they need to move the Ring of Fame up one year. Oh, that's not a bad idea. That well, you figure you're famous with a team for longer than you are outside of of the team that you played with, right? The whole right. idea of that five year waiting period is to show that you're still you still had an impact that sort of lingered throughout your career that that lasted longer than your career did. The Ring of Fame probably shouldn't have that same. I think you're right. It shouldn't be the same distance. Yeah, but uh, it does. It, it it only comes up when a guy is in the Hall of Fame. It's a good problem to have. 
Look, I, I was just thinking about Vaughn Miller recently and how Vaughn is one of the five greatest Broncos at this point. And if Vaughn continues doing what he's doing and plays 12 to 14 years as a Bronco and keeps putting up double-digit sack seasons like he is right now, in effect, he becomes on defense what John Elway was on offense. And, of course, he was also a Super Bowl MVP. He'll be a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. Does he get the waving? Does he get the the waiting period waived if he keeps playing the way he is? That's the. I'd only. say yes. Yeah, I would say <laughs> that you retire and the next year you're in. Yeah, that's the ultimate for a Bronco. I, I like know. it. He's on that. He's on that kind of path. By the way, and I actually saw him walking around the facility uh, a little while ago, right before I came on with you guys. And uh, boy, he's he is excited, man. I I. I wasn't feeling too pumped, and then I talked to Vaughn, and that that got me that got me amped up a little bit. So he's ready. <laughs> Let, let's travel back real quick to Randy Gratishar. Mm-hmm. Do you think he gets one of those spots of the ten? I think so. I think you'll see, in my opinion, Randy Gratishar out of the seventies. You'll also see, I think, Cliff Harris the safety from the Cowboys, and yeah, another Dallas Cowboy, I know. But Cliff Harris is sort of in the Steve Atwater conversation. Great safety, all-decade. For whatever reason, the all-decade safeties, it hasn't always translated to getting in the Hall of Fame. It's one of the reasons why. Every, a lot of times when I mention Steve Atwater, I'm careful to mention Leroy Butler. Right. In the same breath. And Leroy Butler hasn't even gotten in that room. Steve Atwater keeps getting in that room, but Leroy Butler has the same kind of case that Steve Atwater does. Safeties have been just really hard for the Hall of Fame to peg down. They're doing better. The, uh, the sense I get is in the next couple of years, you'll see you'll see Steve Atwater get in, even though they've got uh, Troy Palomalo coming up as well. And then if they get Cliff Harrison, they're going to probably feel pretty good about where they stand at safety. But of guys that... Uh, a lot of people listening to this might know that uh, picked up football in the 70s and the 80s. Cliff Harrison and Randy Gratishar, I think, are the two that I expect to see on this senior's list. Another name I'd watch out for uh, that's familiar, that's not from the early era of football, is Ken Anderson, the Bengals quarterback in the 70s and 80s, who, if you look at his production and look at how efficient he was, He's basically he was the guy who was running kind of West Coast offense 1.0 when he uh, came in playing under then coordinator Bill Walsh under Paul Brown in Cincinnati, and they kept running that offense even after Walsh moved on. Kenny Anderson was a very efficient quarterback; would have easily fit in as a as a passer in today's game just because of, of how precise he was. And I think Ken Anderson is, is one whose name is going to get a lot of traction here for this expanded seniors class. So I expect Gratishar will be in, but also expect to see Kenny Anderson and Cliff Harris get in. Cool. All right. So we got one, one more thing we definitely want to talk to you about. And uh, it's, it's a, a little bit something that happened a couple weeks ago. And we, we saw we, we, there was an article about it in, on Mile High Report. And it was a, a thing that you and, and Jim Sacamano did, Broncos historian Jim Sacamano, the uh, Broncos top 100. And 
you guys together along with with the fans because there was a fan vote. I remember I clicked on a bunch of names and didn't quite get to 100 and had to keep going. You put on a guy whose nickname is Mr. Raider on the Broncos top 100. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd, I'd like an explanation. All right. A little, little, little accusatory. I, I'm, I'm not asking you to make your case here. I, actually, yes, I am. I'm asking you on the spot, an old orange and blue segment. Ian's going to be the judge. You're going to be the prosecution. I don't need a defense because he's Mr. Raider. Go ahead. State your case for Mr. Raider being on the Broncos top 100. Okay. I don't have the music either, so just he's, dun dun. He's, he's Mr. Raider, Raider, because Lou Saban traded him between the 1966 and 1967 seasons. Okay. I am not going to hold that trade against Willie Brown. Willie Brown should have been a career Bronco. Willie Brown was on an all-time Bronco pace. I put this out on Twitter on July 4th, and I was just looking up this to get the, the stats right. He's four, He's a four-year Bronco, uh-huh. two-time AFL All-Star, one-time first-team All-AFL, nine picks in 1964, tied for third for single season in Bronco history, and also is tied for the league record with four picks in a single game in 1964. Dealt it. One guy who uh, did that didn't make it was Delpha O'Neill. But Delpha O'Neill, really, as we recall, <laughs> those last couple of years for Delpha O'Neill were bad. They were rough. So bad that Mike Shanahan tried him on offense because he couldn't get any use of him out use out of him as a cornerback. That didn't happen with Willie Brown. And just because the Broncos dealt him to the Raiders, it wasn't his. It's not like he left in free agency. It's not if he. Had, Okay, I get the anger if you say, okay, he chose to be a Raider in his fifth year. Right. That didn't happen. He would have been happy to stay in Denver. Would have been great. I mean, shoot, as long as he played, if he'd stayed with the Broncos and and if they hadn't traded him, he's a linchpin of the Orange Crush defense. It's not his fault they dealt him. So that's why Willie Brown's on the list. Willie Brown, I will say this, in the discussion that Jim Sacamano and I had, as looking over the fan voting, and then we're looking at some 1960s guys. Willie Brown, there was no question he was on. I think we basically talked about him for three seconds. Willie Brown, on. Fascinating. That is fascinating. <laughs> what was it like to do that, to to just sit back? Because I've talked with Sacco numerous times. Would love to have him on the podcast. He's one of those guys like you where you could just sit and listen to them talk, especially with his the fact that he experienced it and lived through it. What was it like to do that and to, to pick out the players and how difficult was it? Because I figured there's about 75 that most Broncos fans and and you guys you said it pretty said I, I it was it was purposeful. <laughs> but there's about 75 guys who are who we can all agree on and then the rest is just that that's where it starts to get that's where you get the debate like like Lynch, Dawkins. I, I didn't like leaving off Rich Carlos and Mike Horan just because I was a kid and I Especially loved the, the barefooted, barefooted kicker. The barefooted and left footed punter. Yeah. But just what was that like and how much fun was it and how difficult was it to to pick out that list? It got difficult for those guys that were on the fence, but it was 
as fun an experience as I've ever had around the Broncos. And getting to be part of that was a tremendous honor that they respect uh, my opinion on, on this, as well as uh, Jim Sakamano's to help craft this. Um, yeah, some of the names that were left off, I, I just, that were close. Matt Prater and Brandon McManus were both right there. Um, in fact, Prater and McManus were both above Rich Carlos. Just kind of to, to go kind of for the record as far as how we were breaking it down. Um, some of the offensive linemen, there were tough calls. As you're getting into, say, a, um, a Dan Neal, for example, who's not on there. Yep. You wanted to make sure that all eras were represented. Uh, Larry Kaminsky is one that a lot of Bronco fans may not know, but he started uh, seven, eight years at center, kind of went, was before Bobby Maples. And the thing that Jim Sakamano and I really got into is how this guy was a survivor, survived multiple coaching changes, and still stayed in the lineup all the way to when John Ralston, and that says a lot about just how valued he was while he was here. Jerry Stern played back in the 60s. He was an all-AFL guy uh, when he was coming along. And it was, it was, there were some really tough choices. You didn't, the, the fan voting did have an impact as well because it was one of those things where you say, okay, well, the fans maybe saw a little more of this guy than we did. So let's kind of talk, let, let's talk about him. Um, that being said, one thing we can say is that every player on the 100 got votes. It's not like we had no votes for Bud McFadden because he played in the early 1960s. Bud McFadden got some votes. Everybody got some got some votes that is on this list. And if you went down the voting, and we don't really want to kind of get into the details of that because we're trying to kind of keep this as something we honor the 100 as a group rather than saying, okay, this is player one, this is the player two, this is player three. Right. But, um, yeah, it's the voting of the fans and then the team that was selected, for the most part, it was right, right in line. There was some recency bias working for recent guys against guys from the past that we kind of guided and made sure that players from the 60s were on, but – for the most part, there was a lot of agreement. If you took, say, the fan 100 and what the final 100 was, there was a lot of agreement, a lot of fan agreement there. So, cool. And I, I, I will accept Willie Brown on the list after your. Uh, I, I think your... I just <laughs> it was well I done. Saw that post, and I, I think I uh, retweeted uh, MHR and I <laughs> pointed out the things on Willie Brown. You um, may have done that. Because <laughs> I, I, I thought okay. I, look, I know he's a Raider. I get it. He's one of Al Davis's guys. He coached there for a while. You know, is, you know, was connected with the organization for decades. But don't let that obscure what he did here. And again, he didn't choose to be a Raider. Broncos chose to let him go. And uh, don't. I think, I think Lou Saban probably wishes he didn't make that trade. Don't be mad at Willie Brown. Be mad at Lou Saban. That's the yes. point that you're making. I like it. Okay. So let's finish with the excitement that you mentioned about seeing Von Miller and how and how happy he is. What do you think is possible with Bradley Chubb and Von Miller with Vic Fangio's defense? 32 sacks combined. Wow. Yes, please. 
that's possible. Am I overstating it? Pro- probably, but I think there will be some games if the Broncos get in front where the two of them have an opportunity to really feast. And uh, there may be games where they combine for four sacks and games where they don't have any. But uh, I think in the end, some I wouldn't be surprised to see not only 32 sacks, but see it fairly balanced. I don't see that coming with, say, 22 and 10. 22 for one, 10 for the other. I think it, it's close to 18 and 14. And I don't know who's going to get the 18, who's going to get the 14. Could be Bradley Chubb. Brad, Bradley Chubb, again, I don't want to put too much on, on it because it was OTAs in minicamp, and the edge rushers have an advantage there. But Bradley Chubb looked like he had added a few moves from last year. He was going inside. He was going outside. He was, you know, he he had a little he had a little bit more bend than he did last year. He looks like he's taken another step forward, and that's why I think he he's not going to be Mike Crowell two point And and look, I think Bradley Chubb will have the type of year this year to where we say if we did the Broncos one hundred next year, he'd be on it. Oh, so he's been doing well at the Von Miller pass rushers camp or whatever. Sometimes you learn by osmosis. So you're saying watch out for the orange rush as Adam and I are both wearing our orange rush shirts. How apropos. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos.